We are continuing our series today, Encounters with Jesus. Today I will be reading John 4, 1 through 42. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of authority over us? Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months when the harvest comes? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of the word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ community. I hope y'all brought food yourselves because this passage that I've been assigned is so long, we're going to be here a long time. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Michael. I am one of the pastors at Rantoul Community Church. We actually just a couple weeks ago, we laid hands on our first lay elder as well. I heard you guys have some shifting amongst your elders too, so something to be celebrated uh, for our church family along with yours. I want to start by just thanking you all for your support of Rantoul Community Church over the years, support of myself and my wife and our family. Um, as Nate alluded to, uh, God actually used Christ community in my life to, to, to bring me to faith, and it's been a really sweet journey over the last, gosh, Christ communities exist now for what? almost 13 years, about a year into it, so about 12-year journey for me of following Jesus. And uh, yeah, just appreciate being a part of what God is doing here at Christ Community and, and thankful for your partnership in Rantoul. All right, it's a big passage. Let's jump in. Well, first, some of you may know, I know Nick Dunwill, I was talking with him earlier. Where's Nick at? Oh, he's with the kids. Goodness, you guys will have to share this with him. Early in the summer of 1965, the University of Florida assistant football coach noticed that the heat had a devastating effect on his players. And so he met with some of the scientists at the university on the campus to determine why. And what researchers found is that heat increases our body's fluid loss. And so the doctors created a... uh, concoction, a drink containing salts and sugars that could be absorbed more quickly into the body to replenish the fluids that we lose. And Gatorade was birthed, right? Gave birth to a whole slew of energy drinks now, decades later. Gatorade promised, it was advertised as Gatorade is thirst aid for that deep down body thirst. I'm showing my age a little bit now, right? But no matter what we drink, no matter how much we drink or how often we drink or how technological energy drinks have become better for uh, giving fluids to our bodies, no matter what, we get thirsty again, right? In our passage today, Jesus is gaining the attention of some Jewish leaders, and and not in a good way, right? So Jesus heads back to Cana in Galilee, the site of his first miracle. If you remember, uh, you guys aren't walking through John, but earlier in John, Jesus' first miracle, he's at a wedding where he turns water into wine. Jesus is heading back to Cana where he will perform many more miracles. But on his way, Jesus encounters a nameless woman in the scriptures. And he makes the radical claim that whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. Jesus sounds crazy. 
Especially because Jesus himself in the passage is what? He's thirsty. (laughs) I want to point us real quick to the humanity of Jesus. The goss, in the gospels, Jesus gets hungry, he gets thirsty, he gets tired, he experiences a full range of human emotions. Jesus grew and developed. Jesus experienced the awkwardness of adolescence and puberty. He had indigestion. Though completely without sin, Jesus experienced all the hardships and limitations of being human. I want us to point that out real quick because it's easy to just gloss over the humanity of Jesus. But our passage is not primarily about Jesus' limits. It's not primarily about Jesus' boundaries as a human. Our passage is mainly about the boundaries that Jesus is willing to cross in order to seek and save the lost. Let me pray for us one more time and we'll jump in a little bit more. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, just for your nearness to us today. Holy Spirit, would you draw close? Would you open our eyes to see this story afresh? A story that uh, likely we've heard many times, but give us new eyes to see and do your transforming work in our hearts that we desperately need. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, right off the bat, I want us to notice those boundaries that Jesus is willing to cross, right? As he engages with this woman. Jesus engages with a woman who socially and religiously he, should, he shouldn't even be talking to. He shouldn't even be associating with, right? First, she's a Samaritan. For centuries, the Samaritans were uh, the sworn enemies of the Jews. If you're new to this Christianity thing, Jesus is a Jew, He's a Jewish rabbi or teacher, right? And the land of Samaria was originally part of the 12 tribes of Israel. But the Samaritans, over the centuries, they persisted in mixing a little bit of paganism with their worship of the God of the Bible. Adding to that, the Jews viewed them as half-breeds. Any Harry Potter fans in the crowd? We've got one, maybe a couple. Yes, right? They, they viewed them as half-breeds. So when the northern kingdom of Israel, which Samaria was a part of, when it was defeated by Assyria in 721 BC, many of the Assyrians moved into the region of Samaria. And they married some of the Hebrews, some of the Jews that had remained in the area. And also those that returned after Afterwards, also married some of the Samaritans. So the Samaritans were not of a pure Jewish descent, thought of as, as half-breeds. Which is why this woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So not only was she a Samaritan, but she was also a woman. As a Jewish rabbi associating with women was culturally looked down upon. One commentator said, some Jewish thought, some Jewish thought, not all Jewish thought, some Jewish thought held that for a rabbi to talk much with a woman, even his own wife, was at best a waste of time and at worst a diversion from the study of Torah. 
and therefore potentially a great evil that could lead to Ganea, a.k.a. hell. So talking with a foreign woman, even though he was indeed, uh, for Jesus, was looked at at best by the culture as a waste of Jesus' time. And as we look further in this moment, the story, she's also wasn't just a woman, wasn't just a Samaritan, but a woman living in open sin. Living with, presumably, uh, living with and presumably being intimate with a man who isn't her husband. We'll get into that in a little bit. Samaritan, woman, known sinner. But here's the deal. With Jesus, it's never three strikes and you're out, right? What we actually see in the Gospels is Jesus continually pushing the social and religious boundaries of his days. Whether having intimate meals with uh, the low lives of society or getting up close and personal with the crippled, the blind, with lepers. Jesus is constantly caring for and dignifying those who would be deemed unworthy of our time and attention. Jesus honored the most vulnerable, elevated the most vulnerable, including children and women. See, Jesus is willing to cross any boundary necessary to reach the lost. And we see that with this woman, who according to cultural context, Jesus should not be engaging with at all. But instead, what we find here in John 4 is actually the longest recorded one-on-one conversation in all the scriptures with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And what I want us all to notice is that Jesus doesn't simply engage. He doesn't merely just have a, a, a short, quip conversation with a sinful Samaritan woman. But I love Jesus' candor. As he engages with this woman, right? All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is very elusive, right? He he answers a question with what? His own probing questions. He talks in parabolic stories, but yet here Jesus gets really personal. He's incredibly direct and even explicitly reveals his own identity with this woman. Why are you, a Jew, even talking to me? Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink of water, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Again, Jesus' claim here sounds crazy, and I love the woman does what? She calls him out on it, right? What are you talking about? You must be like having heat stroke out here. You must be really thirsty, dude. You don't even have a bucket to draw water from the well from. Now, the the woman's understanding of living water, living water, if, if water is alive, it's active, excuse me, it's moving, right? So she's thinking Jesus is talking about kind of this stream of water that, that he's going to draw from. This well that we're at right now, if you don't know it, Jewish man who's thirsty, our father gave us this well, kind of their joint heritage here. 
Jacob, our forefather, gave us this well thousands of years ago. And it's still flowing. It's still giving us water. You think you're better than Jacob? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She's still confused. But we know, right? Jesus isn't talking about physical water, physical thirst. Jesus is talking about that deep down soul thirst. That you have, that I have, that can never be quenched with anything that this world has, no matter how hard we try to fill it. Because it's a thirst for God. God's free gift of quenching the deeper thirst of your soul is right in front of you, Jesus says. Jesus comes like this shy of saying, I'm the living water that leads to eternal life. Whoever believes in me will never thirst again. Jesus is is incredibly explicit, incredibly direct and personal with his identity here, with who he is. Again, the, the woman's still confused. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water again. And Jesus here, he, he kind of moves the conversation from, from being personal to getting personal. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband to come here. Oh, well, uh, I don't have a husband. That's true, Jesus says. You've had five marriages end and the man you're currently living with, you're not married to. Now, many of us, I think, are familiar with this passage, and, and when we read this, we think of this woman, we're like, man, this lady's some kind of hussy, right? Just sleeping around from husband to husband to husband, and now she's not even married. But our passage, it doesn't say that. Let's put that on the shelf for a second, right? Now, I, I'm not saying that her current relationship isn't living outside of God's good desire for her, Right? But our passage is completely silent about why this woman's marriages have ended. Jesus doesn't even say anything about this woman being in sin. But instead, Jesus sees this woman. Really sees who she is to her core, right? This this nameless woman in the Bible whose life has been ravaged by hardship after hardship. Whether she's been widowed multiple times or divorced multiple times. There was an allowance for men typically to divorce their wives for specific reasons. But it was never an option for a wife to divorce her husband. Regardless of what happened, this woman's life was really hard. I am the product of... Uh, a broken marriage. And I know the special kind of hurt that those cause, right? I have a father who's alive, who I haven't talked to in six years. I have an adopted father who passed away 20 years ago. I also have a son whose mom I was never married to. 
And so much of my deepest wounds, my deepest shame, stem from those relationships. And for this woman's life was full of hardship. And maybe after husband number five, she was like, I don't think marriage works for me. Or maybe, maybe the new guy was like, you've been widowed five times and I don't like those odds for me. But regardless of what happened, Jesus saw this woman. He went straight to her deepest place of vulnerability. That's where Jesus chose to engage. Likely the most tender spot in this woman's life. The area of her life filled with the biggest disappointments, the biggest source of shame. Many speculate that that's why this woman was out in the heat of the day getting water. She's trying to avoid the embarrassment of of talking again with the other women coming out about her messy relationships. Christ community, I don't know what that deepest place of, of wounding is for you, that deepest place of shame for you, but Jesus is big enough for it. He's gentle enough to handle those deepest places of hurt and shame in our lives. And in fact, that's exactly the area that Jesus wants to work on. And I encourage you all, if you haven't done that deep heart work with Jesus, I encourage you to find uh, a friend who loves Jesus and get into those hard conversations, right? To find a counselor, huge fan of counseling right here. Find a counselor to help you work through those deepest parts of your story, those deepest heart wounds. Because Jesus isn't looking to wound you further, but he's looking to bring healing. And he wants to use us in the process, right? Jesus has called us to reflect him in that too. How many times of us we've been, uh, you know, Hanging out with a friend or a lot of times it's our spouses, right? And you can see, man, something's going on right there. And you have the opportunity to engage in a hard conversation with your wife or engage with a hard conversation with your friend or the, the Holy Spirit just kind of pricks your heart to something going on. And we have an opportunity to see someone and engage in those hard conversations. Or we have an opportunity to ignore that. And miss out on one of those opportunities. Because that's a lot easier, isn't it? Some of us, on the other hand, are like, yes, let's get into the nitty gritty. I love being vulnerable. Let's get into that hard heart stuff. And for you, I might say, hey, hit the brakes a little bit. How's your relationship with this person? Do you have the relational equity to engage in those hard conversations? We're supposed to be like Jesus, but we're not Jesus, right? We can't see into the hearts of people. But God wants to use us to get into those hard places, to get personal with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with those outside of the body as well. Jesus gets personal. And you have to get personal with Jesus. If you've just been kind of 
the guy talk, right? We don't like to get personal a lot of times. We like to just stay on that sports, weather, whatever else on the margins. But Jesus is waiting for us to get personal with him. He already knows, right? He already knows what's going on in our hearts. He always already knows what's happening in your life. And Jesus is big enough to handle whatever sin you've experienced or committed. Jesus is willing to bend and break barriers in order to help bring healing to our deepest wounds. But that healing, a lot of times, it isn't always instant, right? The woman here, perceiving that Jesus has something going on with God here, perceiving that he's a prophet, she turns the conversation from a personal one to a theological one. Jesus gets theological here with the woman. Maybe she's deflecting from this deeply personal conversation with Jesus, but the woman presses into a really deep theological conversation with the Son of God. And I've got to give her props for that. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So while the temple in Jerusalem was the place where the Jews worshipped the Lord, Mount Gerizim had been the sacred site for the Samaritans to worship God. Again, there's this theological tension here between these two people, right? The Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus, in this conversation, helps to sort that out. God's work of salvation was coming through the Jews, he said. In fact, through Jesus, he's like, salvation's already come. It's coming, it's here. But when it comes to the particular place to worship God, is it this hill, is it this mountain, is it in the temple? Jesus says that doesn't matter. Unlike human beings, God is divine. He is invisible. He is the invisible life giver. And unless he chooses to reveal himself to us, unless God chooses to reveal who he is, God is unknowable. But praise God, he has chosen to reveal himself to us, reveal himself to the world. And all of this is wrapped up in our understanding of God is spirit. And so true worshipers, Jesus said, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Again, I got to give this nameless woman some props. She isn't totally convinced, right? So she claps back. I know that Messiah is coming. He's going to sort this stuff out for him, uh, for us when he comes, right? The Christ, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Or more little translation, I am the one speaking to you. In order to be true worshipers of God, in order to worship in spirit and truth, we must believe the truth. I am He. Not in all of scriptures is Jesus so direct with his identity, right? I am the long-awaited human Messiah. I am the Christ. And I am divine. I am Yahweh. If you knew the gift of God standing right in front of you, I am the living water that springs to eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am God in the flesh. Believe in me, true worship begins and ends with trusting in the God-man, Jesus Christ, right? He is truth. And through faith in the truth, 
We are given the free gift of his Holy Spirit, worshiping in spirit and truth are inseparable from one another. We worship the word of God made flesh and are given the gift of his Holy Spirit. So God is not only big enough for our uh, emotions, big enough for any personal junk rattling around inside of us, but he's big enough for our theological questions and doubts as well, right? It's a big passage. I've got to look at my time here. I'm going to have to skip that story. Uh, many times, for us, it's like the theological and the emotional, the personal, they're, they're interconnected, aren't they? We're, we're living in a, in a day and age now where we're, we're talking about deconstructing, people get deconstructing their faith. Here's the deal, again, I want you to bring those questions, those doubts, those fears. God is big enough for your biggest theological questions. But the purpose of deconstruction is to reconstruct your faith around the truth. The spirit and the truth. Because a lot of times those big theological questions that we have, they're actually tied up in something that's happened to us in life or tied up in a person that we really care about or tied up in a whole bunch of things. And Jesus is waiting and willing to help you sort those things out. All right, Jesus gets personal. Jesus gets theological. But then this nameless woman gets evangelical, doesn't she? It's beautiful. This woman's story has often been looked at as a story of forgiveness. That's kind of the topic that I, I was given when, I get, was, when you guys gave me this passage. But when I look at this passage, I don't actually see that as a main theme in this woman's life. There is forgiveness at the feet of Christ. Yes and amen. But I read this woman's story as a story of redemption. Her life has in many ways been consumed by the relational could-be's. Could this be the man who really remains committed to me? Could this be the man who remains faithful and kind? Could this be the man who lives long enough that I can have a life with them? Could this be the relationship that truly satisfies my deepest thirsts? And time and time and time and time and time and time again, this woman is let down. But this time, her question is engulfed with hope. Could this be the Messiah? After five past marriages and a sixth relationship outside of God's good desire for her, this is her seventh union. The seventh union that will never fail her. Where do we see that? Well, the passage... Right before our passage today, if you have your Bibles with you, flip to John chapter 3. Look at the very end of the chapter there. The passage right before our passage here, we see that John the baptizer testifies about who Jesus is. John the Baptist says, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. 
Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. Right before this story, we hear Jesus is the bridegroom, right? He is the husband who will never use or abuse his bride. He is the spouse who will never abandon or send her away. Redemption of this woman's past relationships and her current relationships has come in the person of Jesus. And though he die, this, her seventh husband... Her seventh and perfect husband will rise to everlasting life. And she too, through her faith union with him, will never thirst again as she gulps from the springs of living water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus offers to satisfy that thirst within her, that thirst within us that nothing else can satisfy. And he rewrites her story with relationships, doesn't he? He redeems this woman. And this social outcast becomes the social butterfly. Telling anyone and everyone, come and see the man who told me all I ever did. Not in a way that brought me additional shame and hardship and hurt and condemnation. But a man who is gentle and kind, bringing healing to the deepest wounds of my soul. And from that time on, many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony. These enemies of the Jewish people, right? We get our first glimpse in the Gospel of John of the Gospel going global. Outsiders are brought in. Christ community. In you. Jesus sees sees something worthy of being redeemed. In you, Jesus sees a story worthy of being rewritten, worthy of being saved, worthy of him laying down his life for you. God's work of redemption and renewal in our lives is what Jesus came to do. And it results in a response And I love this woman in the story that she engages with Jesus theologically. She engages with him. Well, she doesn't really engage with him personally. But Jesus engaged with her. And her result is to go and tell anyone and everyone about what this man did in redeeming and rewriting her story. I'm here Because someone in Christ's community, one of your brothers in Christ, was willing to engage in the hard conversations in my life. He said, man, Michael, Jesus has so much more for you than the life that you're living. And at the time, I didn't even think that there was a God or if there was, that he even cared about my life. Come and see a man who has and is doing the work of redemption and renewal in my life. And maybe if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you're like, man, I'm just... We become numb and blind to see the ways that he's working in our lives. And we need to see that afresh. That he's not done rewriting your story of redemption and renewal. To see afresh this man that told me everything I ever did. To get fueled afresh for telling others. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, Jesus says at the end of our passage here. They are ripe for the harvest. 
I wanted to show a, a video for you all today, but again, we don't have time for that. Uh, there, uh, some of you may know, all of you may know, Christ Community, you guys are part, and Rancho Community Church, we're a part of a larger church network called the Acts 29 Network. And one of the churches in our network, I think it's in Pennsylvania, uh, they're a larger church, and they have had this renewed uh, vision and fuel for sharing the gospel week in and week out with people, and the hopes of seeing lives redeemed and stories retold and renewed by Jesus. And so they challenged their 2,000 members to share Jesus with at least one person each week in the hopes of reaching 100,000 people. It's a beautiful vision. And just this past month, they had one day where they baptized 80 people. Praise God. Yeah. We're part of that work that God's doing, part of the X29 network, part of that work that he's doing. And I want to encourage you. I know that it can be hard as we continue to walk with Jesus to, to have that fuel, to have that passion. But I want you to get personal with Jesus. I want you to bring your theological concerns to Jesus and allow him to continue to renew and rewrite your story. And, feel, and allow that passion to drive you to share with anyone and everyone you meet. Come and see a man who knew all that I ever did, all that's ever happened to me, who is rewriting my story and he wants to rewrite yours. Father, we thank you for sending your son to do just that. Jesus, thank you for coming to engage with, with our hearts, to engage with our minds, to engage with the wholeness of who we are, to bring redemption and renewal to our broken stories. Holy Spirit, fuel, fan to flame your light within us. Help us to, to regain that passion for the work that you have done in our lives, that passion for the work that you are doing in, in our lives and, and our brothers and sisters here. And give us your words to speak to those around us. All for the glory of your great name, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.